We're back. Welcome back to Physique Science Podcast. I'm your host, Lane Norton, and I'm here with my co-host, Sohi Lee. Sohi, we've been gone a long time. How the hell have you been? I've been awesome. I've been busy in the best of ways. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've heard that. Now, um, tell me, what have you been... I, I know what you've been doing, but for our listeners, you know, everybody's... Where have you guys been? Where have you guys been? So for our listeners who don't know, what have you been up to? Well, uh, the main thing is that I re- returned back to school last fall. Um, I'm currently pursuing my master's degree in psychology at Arizona State University, and um, that's been eating up a lot of my time because I am a full-time student, and I also am wrapping up writing my first book for human kinetics, uh, plus running my online business still. So those three things have kept me pretty busy. My schedule's been a little bit all over the place, but um, I'm really excited that we were able to nail down this time to get together for the podcast again. Absolutely. You know, I, I that's that's obviously a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but I always say to people, don't tell me you don't have time. Tell me it's not a priority. So yeah, you know, right. It, it, it's just you know, and that doesn't make it wrong. You know, we both didn't make this podcast a priority. We both had other stuff going on, but uh, I think we both missed it. And uh, we know that the science is needed, so we're bringing it back. But um, tell me, what precipitated your your decision to go back to graduate school? Because obviously, oh, like you're running yeah. a successful business, you don't need this. But uh, what, what what precipitated that? Well, I will tell you this. um, Being back at school has been kind of a difficult adjustment (laughs) after, um, you know, I graduated from undergrad. I got my bachelor's degree in human biology in 2012. And uh, that was by the time I went back to school, that, that was already over four years ago. And, um, you know, when you're done with school and you're working out in the real world for, uh, you know, a few years, I think for me anyway, I really became accustomed to, um, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> setting my own schedule, um, just doing just the work that I wanted to do, um, spending my time doing things that I was good at and confident in, and just kind of sticking to my comfort areas in a lot of ways. And uh, I know when I graduated undergrad, especially my last semester of senior year, I was just really kind of over school m- mentally. Um, I was ready to, I was itching to, to get working and, 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 and have adult responsibilities and make money and all those things. And, uh, but I knew kind of in the back of my mind that eventually there'd come a point when I would be ready to come back to school again, when I would be, um, I would find myself kind of itching for a little bit more. And, uh, towards the end of my third year, or I guess towards the end of, um, 2015, I really found myself feeling that way very strongly, where especially, um, you know, having been in the fitness industry for uh, just a couple of years, I was able to kind of see, you know, the different spaces in the industry. You know, when, when we talk about the fitness industry, there are so many different spaces. You know, we have the the scientific crowd, the, you know, the academic crowd, the maybe the marketing crowd, the infomercial crowd, the, all that stuff. And, um Check out my cars, but what I really like is these books. (laughs) Right. So, and I was really seeing, um, I mean, especially on the, on the female side of things, uh, a huge dearth of, of, um, women who were making a meaningful difference in terms, and in terms of contributing to academia and who had a, a, a following online so they, they could actually get their message out there. I also was not kind of feeling unsatisfied with my level of knowledge and skill set with, with the kind of content I was giving out. Granted, I was happy, you know, I was giving out quality information, um, but I, I, I didn't know I didn't have the confidence to properly read and interpret research. Um, I wanted to be able to do more than just read the abstract, and I didn't want to have to find myself skipping over the discussion section and results section and the um, statistics of a research paper. I wanted to be able to read all of it, fully understand it, and then and then you know put my own uh, give my own thoughts on it as an independent thinker. And I realized I was not going to be able to do that on my own, um, well, I guess I technically would have, but I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to teach myself statistics. Let's just say that. Right. And <laughs> uh, I really needed the formal academic setting again. So um, 
over a year ago, I just, I took the GRE, um, applied to one school because <laughs> I found, uh, I guess in the world, in the, in the world of psychology, there really aren't very many master's programs offered. Mm. Most go straight from undergrad to PhD. So I had a very limited selection as far as master's programs. Um, and the reason why I chose mas- a master's program rather than a PhD is one, I did not have the prerequisites to, uh, get into a PhD program yet. I didn't have any research experience. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I knew I wouldn't get in. Two, um, after having been in the real world for two years and just loving my freedom as an entrepreneur, um, I was not sure how I, w- how I would adjust to going back to school full time right, and, right. you know, having to wake up at certain hours, be in class at a certain time, um, do homework assignments that maybe not all of them make complete sense to me or I don't see the utility in every single um, thing that I'm doing. And I knew that I would struggle with that if that happened. So I just said, well, just in case, I'm going to do a two-year program because if it ends up being not my thing, at least it's only two years. So um, that, I'm here now. I uh, successfully concluded my first semester of grad school. I am now uh, five weeks into my second semester, and I should be graduating, um, considering all goes well, next May. So May of 2018, I should graduate with my master's in psychology. And for those of you wondering, and I know I have a few questions, I am not leaving the fitness industry and, mm-hmm. and, and going into, into psychology. Um, I chose psychology over something like exercise science or nutrition because um, that is my passion within the um, field. And specifically, I'm fascinated by the psychology of eating behavior, and I have been for a few years. And, and I'm currently in the middle of um, designing an intervention for my master's thesis with my advisor. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. A lot of tidbits there for people, but, uh, you know, I'm sure this is very scary for you. Yes. Um, the, 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 the biggest change for me obviously has been uh, I have way less time and freedom to do other things. Um, I mean, I will say that. I'm not crazy about having to wake up to an alarm anymore after going so long without, you know, being able to wake up anytime I want. And um, I realized that, especially being in school now, that I just became so accustomed in a way I, w- I became really spoiled to having so much freedom. And mm. it's not the norm for people to be able to live the way that I did, you know, and um, and uh, dri- driving 25 minutes to school each way, sometimes just for one class and coming straight back. Uh, it- it's quite the change. And um, not only that, but sometimes, you know, I this semester in particular, I'm taking a class that really is kind of putting me in my place as far as confidence and um, making me realize that, wow, you know, I really, really spent the last four years just doing what I was good at, pretty much. And um, when you start learning a course that is a little bit more advanced than you would expect and, uh, you know, it has concepts that you can't fully grasp because they're abstract and you're a concrete thinker, um, it I mean, I'm, I'm happy to take the course. It's a great challenge. But, man, is it kicking my butt. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I just, you know, I always found that I did the best in the classes that were the most challenging for me. Um I, I remember, like, there was an, I don't want to call anybody out, but the school I went to, there was a, an accounting class, which usually accounting isn't easy, especially for people with my kind of brain. But uh, the class was just easy. Like, the professor just didn't really require much. And, um, yeah. you know, everybody took it. And I ended up getting a B. Because <laughs> I just, uh, I didn't like it. You know, I didn't enjoy it. Everybody's like, oh, take it. It's an easy class. And it was like, I was just like, why am I here? Like, this is dumb. I didn't learn anything. I did not learn one useful thing, you know. And actually now looking at it, if I had paid attention, I probably could have learned some useful things, you know. Right. Now, i got to be, you know, which is quote-unquote good, but I think um, that's one thing that that the youngsters who are listening, or people who are not necessarily youngsters, but people going back to school, um, you know, they it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The, I mean, the grade you get matters, but it's more about, like, did you actually learn something? Like, was there something you could take? Like, school is, school is only there for you to acquire knowledge so you can hopefully become better in whatever workplace you have. If your goal is to go and just get grades, how does that translate to what you're going to do in the real world, you know? I mean, you know, right. Sohi, when, when I, I mean, you sent me a resume, but when I hired you to be an assistant, you know, way back in the day, did I ever quiz you about your GPA? 
I don't think you ever asked or cared or anything, but no. man, that was a, that's a throwback. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, I care. What I care about is, 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 is somebody very invested? Do they re- and are they skilled? You know, and there's no way to find out if somebody's really skilled. I mean, you can have an idea, but usually what I found is people who are real, like you and Karina and uh, Keith, who now does my videos and, and whatnot, <laughs> like everybody offered to do all this stuff for free. And I usually find that those people are the best at what they do. You know, like they're just, because they're passionate about it. They're invested. They believe in, in whatever you're doing, you know. And uh, I think I told you, like the fact that you offered to do it for free made me want to pay you more. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that like, I, you know, yes, you can't just be passionate about something with no skill. Like that's not going to help. But, um, you know, I, if you weren't skilled at all, I would have found out pretty quickly. So. Right. I think that that's, you know, I always talk about passion is so important, especially when you're talking about something like school and graduate school and, and learning because, like, if you're going to go, to, we, we, we say in uh, people who do, uh, or not, if you go to grad school, you better be 100% passionate about what you're going to learn about because if you aren't, because that's going to be halved by the time you're done. So if you, cause you don't want to be less than 50% passionate by the, you know what I mean? Like, you're going to, it's going to be really, really tough. And, um, right. you know, I, I remember... I told uh, Tracy Anthony, who's now a, a professor at Rutgers, and at the time uh, she was at University of Southern Indiana, and she was in Layman's lab before me, and she was the one who taught me how to Western blot. And I remember Western blotting was like so frustrating. Um, actually, everything was frustrating, but I remember tolling, telling her the day I graduated, I called her and thanked her for her help, and I said, you know, uh, Tracy, I, I hate to admit this, but I, I really wanted to quit. And she just laughed, and she said, oh, honey, everybody wants to quit at some point. Uh-huh. I, was like, I was like, oh. So that's normal. She goes, yes, if you didn't want to quit, then it probably wasn't a rigorous enough program. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that way of thinking. Yeah, so it's, you know, any anything that's ever made you, like, want to give up or, or you know, frustrate you that much, maybe it's actually worth reinvesting the time into that and not quitting because, you know, if something, like, if something doesn't matter to you, then quitting it or or, or like, you don't even quit it. You just don't do it. You know, you just say, ah, nah, whatever. But if something matters to you, you know, we had, we had somebody post in a, uh, our avatar uh, Facebook group today. They said, you know, I've had some really bad workout days and I just don't feel like tracking. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like doing that. And I said, you know, the, the, all of us are going to have good and bad days. The difference is going to be between people who win in life. Um, and I say win in terms, in terms of getting what you want. Um, the people who win in life is on bad days they still get up and go through the same steps that they do on their good days. They just maybe don't feel as good about them. You know, you still get up and you still do your work. You still get up and you still go to class. You still get up and you still do your workout. You still do all the little things that you have to do. You might not have the same confidence, you might, but you keep taking those steps. You know, I think it's easy to kind of, when things get tough, to kind of just get out of your saying, well, none of this stuff matters. And uh, as Jim Rohn says, everything matters and everything right. affects everything. So there are so many things every single day I don't feel like doing. <laughs> Man, if I only if I went through life only doing the things I felt like doing, my life would be one super easy, two, God, oh God, so mediocre. <laughs> and that's and that's the thing is you can't, you know, the the only way to create a diamond is through pressure and time, right? Yeah. And so you take coal and you apply pressure and time and you can actually get a diamond, you know. Um, So you take what you start as and you apply pressure and time and you can become something more. So uh, on that note, I guess I'll go ahead and announce it because I need I need to I I, I think when I put pressure on myself, it helps. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, you know, I'm coming back from injury. uh, I'll, I'll lead into my big announcement here, but I'm coming back from injury. Um, as a lot of people know, uh, over the past year, I've dealt with two herniations in my uh, neck, disc herniations in my neck, uh, a hip injury that was probably some kind of tear. Uh, we never really fully diagnosed it, but it took me out of squatting. It took me out of Worlds, Nationals, and uh, the Arnold. And uh, and then also, then when I almost was all the way recovered from those two things, I herniated or I, I bulged a disc in my lower back in addition to a previously herniated disc that I had. So... It's been an exercise of frustration, and I'll, I'll, I post about this on my Instagram and my Facebook and everything, and I talk about the injuries, and I talk about my rehab, and a lot of people say, why can't you just, why can't you just do this in silence? Like, why don't you just come back? And I said, because that teaches people the wrong thing. 
because I'm just going to drop off, that would be just me dropping off the face of the planet for a year or two, then coming back out of nowhere, and people go, oh, well, Lane was just, you know, doing other things. No, I was grinding the whole time. And I know a lot of people out there who they, they struggle with those injuries, and they, they um, you know, they, they don't, 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 don't talk about it, though. And I feel like it can be helpful for other people showing that, hey, look at this guy. He's been to one of the highest levels there is in his sport, and he's even struggling with this. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that um, uh, I like what Conor McGregor says. And he's, he said, when you, he said, a lot of people have goals and passions and dreams. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, they have goals and dreams, but they keep it to themselves. They don't put it out there. And he said, when you become vocal with it, um, you speak it into existence. You're creating that love and attraction, and you're more likely to make it happen. Because it's easy to have goals if you just keep them to yourself, right? Because then then there's really the only person you're accountable to is yourself, right? Which, at the end of the day, is still the most important person, period. And that's why I tell people to write down their goals, because when you write it down, it changes how you act every day. Like, mm-hmm. um, also, like saying, you know, we just said, you, don't say you don't have time. Say it's not a priority. Because right. when you have to say something's not a priority, it's going to change the way you act, you know? Um, don't say you don't have time. Um, and sometimes maybe something shouldn't be a priority, right? Like, if you've got four kids... And you're working, you're a single mom, you've got four kids, you're working three jobs, you know, to make ends meet, this and that. Maybe exercise isn't a priority, and it probably shouldn't be, you know, in terms of, you know, if you've got any extra time, maybe you do some calisthenics at home, that sort of thing. But, you know, that's okay. But you still have time, it's just where you're devoting that time. You're devoting that to family, and that's okay, right? And so I think, but I think when we put that verbiage into it, when we say it's not a priority, that that's a more accurate reflection. So... I've always, when I've had goals, I've tried to put them out there and put pressure on myself. Because trust me, when I wanted to quit my PhD, well, one, I had a very supportive wife, uh, Isabel, who really pushed me to keep going. Um, when a lot of people would have said, you know, yeah, this shit is hard, and I really don't like living in cold Illinois. Let's let's go move. You know, um, you know, she encouraged me to finish. And then, um, but also the fact that I had told people. All over, you know, people all over the world knew that I was trying to do my PhD in, in nutritional sciences, and if I, if I backed out of that, that was going to be a very public back out, you know. And I think a lot of people would have understood, you know, I was very frustrated, this and that. But at the end of the day, uh, I like what Eric Thomas says. He says, "Winners win and losers lose." And ah, simple. It, it's true. If winners, at the end of the day, people who are good at stuff, they find a way to get stuff done. You know, uh, it's it's. You know, I'm not saying I've never lost anything. I've screwed a bunch of stuff up. But on the whole, uh, and I've failed a lot more than I've succeeded, but on the whole, when something's really important to me, I, I, you know, find a way to get it done. So with all that said, I, I'm going to speak this into existence, even though it's hard for me. Um, I've decided that, I, you know, my, undergrad, or my, my graduate degree was in nutritional science, and I didn't really do much with exercise in that research. Um, and I always felt kind of a... I don't want to say a whole, but um, like I had a little bit of unfinished business because I never really looked at exercise. So in in the fall of 2018, I'm well, I'm applying to the master's program at the University of South Florida for uh, under Dr. Bill Campbell to do a master's in exercise physiology. Amazing news! I love it. So. I don't need to do this. I don't. I've have you know three successful businesses. Um, I've done well in pretty much every aspect of the fitness industry, um, and I don't need this. I already have a PhD, you know. Uh, and even even Bill, when I told him, he was like, uh, you know, as an advisor, I'm very excited for the idea that you would come in and actually yeah. do research. He said, as your friend, let me tell you the reasons you shouldn't do this. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day. Um, I really feel like, you know, I like the idea of being pushed. And um, I like the idea of being involved in research. And I feel like I've got some some questions that I want to get answered with regards to, you know, uh, training and exercise that, you know, I don't feel satisfied with what's out there in the literature right now. And I want to, I want to, you know, I want to contribute to the literature as well. I talk a lot about it. You know, I don't feel right calling myself an expert in in training when I haven't done that research. So, and I'm not saying, right. you know, people hear that and they go, "Oh, are you said, well, you're saying that you have to have a graduate degree to do X, Y, Z." That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, for me personally, 
I don't feel right calling myself an expert when I have. And Lane, do you plan on being a full time graduate student? So you'll be done in two years. Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Oh that's man, plan. you'll be busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I started my full time business when I was doing my PhD. So, ah, true. So I started coaching for that when I was doing my PhD. True. Obviously, some things are gonna, but you know, now I'm also a dad. Um, I travel a lot more. Yeah. Um, some of that's going to have to be put on the back burner, but you know, I'll, um, you know, I'll just, I you just got to prioritize, you know. So I'm probably going to do a lot of traveling this year and then early next year to kind of get it out of my system, so I don't feel like traveling for a while. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I just, I don't want to look back at my life and go, man, I wish I would have done more, you know, or I yeah. wish, I wish I would have done this because. Let's be real. Like, I, there'd be a lot of reasons I could come... Because I do want to do this, and I've thought about it for a while. And the reasons I kept coming up with were the same reasons that I give people... I tell people are bullshit, you know? <laughs> it was, well, it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, I'm going to have less time. I'm not going to have as much yeah. free time. Um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be frustrating, you know? And uh, I started looking at that. I'm like, man, like, if you want to do this, just do it. Um, yeah. I think in the long run, it'll be actually good for my business. You know? I think it'll be excellent, and I have to admire you, Lane, for going back to school after um, all these years of success as in, in the industry. There's no need. You could do so well the rest of your career without ever going back to school, and uh, this is the harder thing to do. Yeah, I well, respect you for that. Well, thank you, and I, I think um, you know, there's a lot of cliches we can throw out there. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. You know, all yeah. those sorts of things. But most of them are pretty true, you know. Um, I put up something on my Instagram the other day that I thought was was a really cool quote that I liked. And it was, um, let's see what it said. It said, when faced with, uh, psychology says, go with the choice that scares you the most because that's the one that's going to help you grow. So I think that that, um, I think that, that tends to be very true, you know. Yeah, that's one. We, we can get into our, you know, there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with a comfort zone. You know, most people live in that comfort zone. But if you're going to change something, you've got to get outside of it. Um, and that, you know, I never want to judge people for how they choose to live their life. There are some people who are, you know, nine to five job is what they want. And they just want to make enough money so that they can, they can work nine to five and then have their hobbies and take care of their family. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're somebody who says, you know what, I want to do something amazing with my life. What, you know, what I find is most people say, I want to do something amazing with my life. I don't want to, I don't want to do the, the normal thing that everybody else has done. Um, I want to change the world, X, Y, Z. And then very, 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 very few people are willing to do what it takes to actually make that happen. Um, I can actually remember, I, you know, I have a kind of a life coach right now named, named Patty Evans, and she's been awesome. And um, I was lamenting the fact that like um talking about somebody who had who had said something and done something different kind of in this this vein about you know um challenging life circumstances and uh she said lane what you have to understand is that most people's words don't really mean much you know they will say things and she's like and for you that's different because if you say something that means you're going to do it and um you know i've always been that try to be that kind of person i think it's just a different mentality and again i'm not saying one's right or wrong but if you really, really, you know, want to make a difference, you know, it's going to, I tell people like 99% of success, and you know this, Sohi, 99% of success sucks. It's work, <laughs> frustration, failure, setbacks, uh, people betraying you. Like it's, it's, it's really frustrating, it's the, but it's the 1% that keeps you coming back. Absolutely. So, well, since you're, what, so you're going to you're telling us uh, you're doing your masters in psychology. Yes. Yes. So what what do you I I think maybe both of us got a little bit inspired by uh, Dr. Joe maybe uh, from the camps you know because he's done like two PhDs and I think he's on like his third masters. <laughs> oh yeah, he's so inspirational, doing yeah. so much. Yeah, Joe is like the the epitome of constant progression. You know, anything he gets involved in, he's like, all right, you know. He said he just basically goes to school because that's his hobby. You know, he's got, a, I think he's got, he's got two PhDs with regards to nutrition, and then he's got a, a, a master's in psychology, I believe, and then he was doing a master's in creative writing as well. Like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. 
I'm just trying to get on that on, on that level, you know. But um, uh, so tell us about your your masters that you're doing. Do you have a you haven't started doing research, is my guess, in terms of an actual research project, but can you, can you give us any? No, uh, not on my own. I'm currently, well, I'm helping my advisor with his research right now um, on the side and then taking a few classes and I uh, meet with my advisor every week to um, discuss the my master's thesis. And I decided pretty early on that I wanted to do an intervention mm-hmm. um, and uh, hopefully my plan is to, uh, you know, conduct a study and then get it published in the future um, at some point, because I think I, I would like, you know, my, my whole goal of, of coming back to school was one, learn how to do research and interpret research, be an independent thinker. Um, two, I also wanted to start conducting research of my own because, yeah. um, you know, I would, it's funny, I would go to these conferences and listen to these speakers give presentations on different topics and they would be citing their own research and be like, well, in this study, me and my mm. colleagues, my colleagues and I did this and here are the findings. And I would sit there being like, man, that is so badass to quote your own freaking research. I don't uh, want to do that. So, um, besides, I, my colleagues and I just sound yeah. very badass, doesn't it? I get to say that uh, eventually, <laughs> hopefully. And um, I also think that the, the literature um, with it, with regards to psychology of, of health behaviors, health eating behaviors, and probably um, hopefully exercise behaviors too later down the road is woefully lacking. And, um, uh, you know, I'm interested in behavior change and I've been doing a lot of reading on habits. And, um, you know, my first semester was largely spent kind of reading through the research that was already out there to see um, what gaps I could fill, what, what I would want to do for my own intervention. And what I found was that, um, in terms of dietary habit interventions, there are very, very, very few. I mean, less than five, um, habit interventions that I know of out there, um, that have been tested and, and, you know, studied and statistically analyzed and published in papers. So I looked at that and said, well, I would like to expand that area. Um, this is not, just uh, uh, an area that needs to be that needs to grow, but it's also an area that I happen to be interested in and is completely relevant to my career. And you know, I have uh, I coach a lot of online clients. It's it helps them too. And uh, I think my findings could help other coaches around the world. And it could change the way we coach and change the way we teach people and change the way uh, change change the recommendations we give to people as far as um, how to go about um, you know eating and and whatnot for the best results so uh this is kind of cool but it, it, just in the past three weeks actually i finally come up with a, a question that i want to answer for my thesis and um, we bounced around a lot of different topics and scrapped a lot of different things i will I want to study ego depletion for a little bit um which is the idea that self-control is uh limited but turns out there's the the research on that is kind of conflicting and we just it's kind of like mm-hmm. sticky a sticky area and so um looked at a number of different things we've settled on answering this question what is the effect of a macros based versus habits based dietary intervention on long-term weight loss maintenance cuz mm-hmm. you remember you know you know remember you and I Lane said a long time ago Weight loss is not a problem. Weight loss maintenance is the problem. Yes. We're really good at taking the weight off. We cannot keep it off. And uh, it seems every year we become we're worse and worse on that. And it, it continues to be a growing problem. And um, in part, in large part, due to unsustainable dieting tech strategies that people cannot maintain over the long haul. And I've always said, um, I remember, and this is before you hired me, Lane. Um, this was, I believe, late 2012. I was on Twitter and I said something like, if you can't see yourself keeping up this behavior a year from now, you need to change what you're doing. And I think you retweeted it. And I still say the same thing today. You need to use sustainable methods to get the results you want in order to maintain those results over the long haul. And um, this is a a point that I want to hammer home time and time again because I think um, it's not – it seems like common sense, but – a lot of people actually don't think about what they're going to do once they're done with their diet. They oh, don't consider absolutely. that until they're actually there and they're like, oh, shoot, uh, what now? And they don't they don't think about the fact that, well, you now can't just go back to the way that you lived your life before and expect to keep those same results. 
So, and um, you know, in the past few years, we've seen an explosion in the popularity of uh, macro tracking and a macro-based uh, nutrition approach, whereby, I mean, Lane, you do this, you're probably like one of the pioneers of this too, where you are prescribed a, a certain number of grams of par- uh, protein, carbs, and fats to um, h- adhere to every day. And that, in turn, helps uh, ensure that you are not only con- consuming the right uh, macronutrients, but also the right number of calories, since they're necessarily related. And this is a question that I get a lot. You know, one gram of protein is four calories, one gram of carb is four calories, one gram of fat is nine calories. So it's not hard to do uh, some simple arithmetics to find out how many total calories you're consuming if you know your macronutrient numbers. So this is a strategy that I've been using as well for my clients for over five years now with a lot of, with great success. But we've also seen um, a rise in popularity of a habit-based approach to coaching, whereby um, they don't focus on calories. They just focus on daily eating behaviors to to target every day and to make that a habit over time where you do it consistently day in and day out. And there, that method of the habit-based coaching is another roundabout way of actually controlling for calories and ensuring you're getting sufficient protein without using a food scale, without using a, a, a nutrition tracking app. So I want to know, and you know, I have my, my guess as to what the findings will be, but I think it's important to have data anyway, formal data, because sometimes what we think to be true ends up being incorrect Ooh. when we actually do research. So um, I want to find out which method is better in, um, at the end of a 12-week intervention, which group will see better results, not just in terms of body measurements, body weight, uh, waist circumference, all those things, but also who will fare, fare better in terms of uh, change in quality of life, change in degree of dietary restraint, and change in um, body esteem scale. So that's measuring um, your self, self-esteem, body image. And then I want to do a six-month follow-up after that, um, to administer the three questionnaires again, qu- uh, quality of life, uh, dietary restraint, and um, body esteem, to and, uh, and also the, uh, the body measurements to determine, um, yes, maybe in the 12-week short term, this group did better, but at the six-month, this other group did better. And I want to, my guess would be that the changes in quality of life and, and dietary restraint at the end of the 12 weeks will be predictive of um, long-term weight loss maintenance success. Mm. That's my hypothesis. Well, and you know, I think what's, you know, people think that we, that, well, I don't want to say I came up with it because I didn't, but that one of the reasons I, I guess, you say pioneered, um, you know, popularized, whatever, flexible dieting is because I wanted an excuse to eat things that I like to eat. That's actually, <laughs> that's actually not why I did it. Um, I'm an, I'm a, first and foremost, I'm a competitor and I want to win. I want to win. And honestly, if you told me that dirt would get me to win, uh, be more effective for getting me to win, I'd probably eat dirt, you know? Um, but what I noticed was in the off seasons from bodybuilding, I just had such trouble. You know, I'm just self-aware. Like nobody has, well, we don't think people have infinite willpower, right? That's another, (laughs) but we don't believe people have infinite willpower. And, um, so if we know that, we know everybody's breaking point is different. And I knew that, you know, for me, after a long contest prep, I just, I, I would, you know, I would gain back weight really quickly. And what I found was I would get even more body fat in the off season mm-hmm. and have even more trouble taking off when it came to contest prep. And so I'd actually get, I actually got, like, especially between my first and second contest, I got worse. Um, and then um, what I found was is when I allowed myself a little bit of flexibility – um, that I, I did better that when I allow myself to eat, you know, instead of saying I'm never eating pizza again, uh, I would say, okay, well, let's just try and kind of track what it is. And then, um, you know, stay within those, the confines of those numbers. And what I found was I stayed leaner, um, and didn't go off the rails, you know, and I found that with a lot of clients too, but there was, there was really very little data on it. And so, um, you know, uh, we now have, there is a, a study out now from Lauren Conlon and, and Bill Campbell, actually, um, where they showed that, you know, uh, either a macro tracking based approach or flexible approach versus mm-hmm. a restrictive approach, i.e. just a set meal plan, um, that there, there was no difference in, uh, in fat loss. 
But there was no difference. Now people will take that and they'll say, well, then see, it doesn't matter. But but if you had the choice of flexibility, um, wouldn't you think you'd want to pick the one that allows you to eat the foods that you want to eat or that you like to eat or at least have, at least, well, you can't just eat the foods you want to eat. As, as we know, flexible dieting is self-limiting by your total calorie intake. Because if you're on very low calories, you're not going to be able to fit a bunch of junk food in. It's just not going to work. Right. Um, it's like a it's like a budget. And um, unfortunately, people who are uh, opponents of flexible dieting seem to miss this whole idea. Um, either they don't they don't understand it, or they just purposely gloss it over. But um, so you're not going to be able to eat a bunch of junk food, and uh, but you will be able to you know say some days, oh, you know what, I'm I'm a like. You know, your last contest prep, you had a Snickers every day. But interestingly, yeah. I think I, actually I think that's a great uh, – and you got you won your pro card. And I think I did. that's a great example. You didn't even like eating the Snickers by the end, correct? No, I was so – I mean, it was a 240 calories. I ate up a good chunk of my calories for the day. I was freaking hungry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you would have much rather had a big salad, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And so – Again, it is a self-limiting thing. Like you're, you're going to, if you are, you are going to by default select foods that are more filling, you know. And I think that this concept is just totally lost on some people. But, um, you know, what, what I think, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I would be interested because we don't have, we don't really have much research looking at post-diet. What's better at maintaining weight loss? You know, mm-hmm. uh, interesting in Bill's study, they they saw that. That actually the flexible dieting group regained their lost lean body mass faster than the group. Really? Was, yeah, yeah. It was it, it was it was statistically different um, that they uh, regained their lean what about body mass faster. Fat? Um, there was a I don't want to say a trend because it wasn't statistical, but if you looked at the directionality of the two, uh, they tended the the flexible group tended to maintain their weight loss while the the uh, restrictive group uh, gained back some body fat, but it was not statistically different between groups. Um, so I don't want to overemphasize that data. Okay, interesting. But um, you know, if you get, you know, that wasn't really the focus of their study. So if you make that the focus of your study, you really pump up the the number sure. of people that you're you're doing in those. Um, you know, who knows if you'll see differences? And you know, even if there is no difference, regardless, then you can just say, okay, well then just do what you like. If you like a meal plan, then do that. If you like a uh, flexible approach, then do that, right? Like that's the, that's, that what, that's what that would say. And that, you know, that's fine. I know what I like. And, you know, some people, they thrive on a little bit more structure. And, you know, I like what Corey Probst says of, uh, you know, structured flexibility, you know? So for some people, like I, for example, my breakfast is almost always the same, you know, it's almost always the same mm-hmm. uh, just because it's, it's, I just get into, I settle into a routine, but I don't freak out if I can't have my breakfast. Like if I, if I have to change it, cause I know how to track. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't affect my overall daily intake. I just have to sub some things. That's all. So right. I think that that's um, you know, like I said, when it's like a budget. Well, you know, if if you're used to a certain budget every month, and then one month you say, well, I'm going to buy a new car, right? Well, now you got to restructure your budget a, a little bit if you still want to hit that same budget. So right, um, first you pay your bills. Right. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. pay your bills, and then if you have some fun money. <laughs> Right, exactly, and that's, that's where that's, you can spend it. Yeah, and that's I think is a, is a is a really good point. And you know, I always give the comparison of, you know, someone who's a, a millionaire. You know, if they want to go out and buy a fifty thousand dollar car, it's not really a big deal. They can still pay their bills. They can still pay their mortgage. They can still put money away from retirement. Do all the things they need to do. But if you make sixty thousand dollars a year and you're buying a fifty thousand dollars, let's just assume you're buying a cash, right? If you make sixty thousand dollars a year and you're buying a fifty thousand dollar car, it's going to put a hurting on you. You know, you're not going to be able to do all those things that you're supposed to do that are your responsibilities. And so, um, again, it's a self-limiting thing, right? Um, so, yeah, I I, I actually, uh, you know, I've really been, uh, I'm, I'm going on a few podcasts in the next few weeks, but uh, I guess one of my passions recently has been uh, sugar. Uh, I didn't know, <laughs> I actually got called out yesterday on Twitter and somebody called me Sugar Man. <laughs> because they believe, I guess they believe that I think sugar is good for, you know, it's amazing, like, cognitive dissonance, how that works. Oh, know? yeah. Um, I, I made a post the other day that basically research showing, there was a, there was quite a bit of research showing that, like, ketogenic diets, which do have certain applications, like cancer, Alzheimer's, those sort of things, but for fat loss, 
ketogenic approach is, is, is no better than a protein-equated, uh, calorie-equated approach. So, you know, as long as your protein is at least the same and your calories are the same, whether you do keto or not makes no difference on fat loss. Like, you could get the same fat loss doing a moderate-carb approach. Um, but so, in saying that, someone's response was, well, I lost 50 pounds on keto. I said, okay, I didn't say it didn't work. What I said was it wasn't better. And they spent probably, I would say, a dozen messages arguing with me about this. And it was just amazing to me. I said, I am not saying that your approach didn't work. What I'm saying is it's not better. You know, And it was just amazing that this person could not wrap their head around this concept that just because I'm not gushing over a ketogenic diet doesn't mean I'm saying it's worthless. You know? <laughs> So, um, and the same thing with sugar. So, I mean, um, you've probably read a lot of the stuff I've been writing recently. I just, as you know, Sohi, I just, I, I am never willing to accept the status quo and I'm always questioning things. And I, I can remember being at a, at a party for the University of Illinois Nutritional Sciences Department. And this was probably over 10 years ago. And one of the uh, professors in, in, uh, Manny Nakamura, he did a lot of research on high fructose corn syrup. And we're at the party, and he's talking to another professor about high fructose corn syrup. And Dr. Nakamura, um, I'm just totally expecting him to say, yes, you know, obesity is caused by high fructose corn syrup, this and that. And the, that's what the actually the other professor, I couldn't remember who it was, was, was saying, you know, that, oh man, you know, there's such strong evidence that high fructose corn syrup is, is causing these, these, these. And Dr. Nakamura looked at him and said, well, no, it's just easy to overconsume, that's all. He said the research. The research says that there's there's no difference. That, that if you equate for calories, there's no difference. Now, if you get if you get high fructose corn syrup really high, like we're talking like like fifty to seventy percent of total calories, which is almost oh, wow. completely unphysiological. Um, if you get it that high, then there does seem to be some funky things that happen with liver metabolism. Um, but but it, within reasonable amounts, that there doesn't seem to be a difference if you equate for calories. And I remember thinking, well, that can't be right, you know, because everything I'd read had, you know, everything I'd read online said that high fructose corn syrup was the devil and was causing heart disease and causing obesity and whatnot. And, uh, you know, as I, I started to dig through more of the literature, what I found was that sugar didn't make a difference. Uh, as, as long as you were equating for protein, calories, and fiber, uh, sugar just didn't make a difference. And, you know, even up to, there was a study comparing like 10 grams of sugar a day versus like uh, over 100 grams of sugar a day and there was no difference in fat loss you know and no difference on any markers oh, interesting no difference on any really any markers of of health like blood lipids and inflammation like so you know people have a hard time separating correlation from causation and they say well look how much sugar intake has gone up in the last uh, 100 years or, or whatever it is and uh, while that's true, uh, by the way, sugar intake has actually dropped in the last 10 to 15 years, and obesity and heart disease have continued to go up. So that, that doesn't really help with the – ironically, um, calorie consumption has continued to climb, and exercise has continued to fall off. So, um, you know or, – or sorry, not exercise, activity, activity. So um, what, what, what the research says is it's a calorie effect that, you know – and people said so. The guy called me, Mister. This guy online who creates uh, apparently quote unquote documentaries about uh, high fat dieting and low carb dieting, uh, called me Sugar Man. And uh, so I think it's an interesting cognitive dissonance that because because what what I say is sugar doesn't sugar intake doesn't seem to make a difference when you equate for calories and protein. And what other people hear is Lane saying sugar is good for you and I should eat sugar. You know, like. It's very right, interesting like, how that works. They think you're saying everybody eats sugar all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and what's interesting is people say, "Oh, well, you must be bought out by you must be owned by Big Sugar." You know, anytime something doesn't fit with your diet, your your bias. I'm sorry, when something doesn't fit with your bias, we have a we put a big in front of it, like Big Pharma, Big Sugar, whatever, and we make it seem like there's this dark, sinister Illuminati underworld uh. that is like controlling everything. Uh, my research was funded by the, in graduate school, it was funded by the Egg and Dairy Council, or so the Egg Nutrition Center and the National Dairy Council, both of whom are directly in opposition to the sugar industry. 
So the idea that I would be biased towards that is pretty funny. Wow. People so, don't so. like hearing things that don't align with their current views. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, as a scientist, I think you're, the fundamental job you have is to question even those beliefs that we hold most basic. You know, um, you just, you can't accept what, some, what the status quo is. Now, the status quo might be right. It could be right. But you don't want to accept dogma. You know, when it becomes dogma, that's what you don't want to accept. And so, um, you know, I always have people tell me, would, would say something, and I, I would always say, well, why? You know, and, and uh, it just always annoyed me when people couldn't give me a good answer. You know, because even, you know, even if you're not a scientist, if you arm yourself with certain tools, you can usually find out if something is BS or not, you know. And um, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I just, you know, yes, there are certain people that like I look up to and I'll listen to and whatnot, but I'm always trying to look at the literature for myself and trying to make my own opinion, you know? And um, I think we have a lot of people out there, and psychology, you probably have a better uh, kind of reflection on this, but um, people want to feel like they belong to something. And I feel like a lot of these because doesn't nutrition sometimes feel like different religious groups fighting with each other? Oh, oh my gosh. The, 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 the extent to which some people just stubbornly hang on to their views. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was at uh, Epic Fitness Summit um, in 2015, I think it was. And um, there was a debate between Alan Argon and Gary Taubes. And I don't want to. I don't want to disparage Gary Taubes. He's a he's a he's a smart person, but he's an example of what happens when a smart person becomes indoctrinated with zealotry. Um, and Gary was going through each of so Alan was actually providing research studies to support his points, and Gary was going through each study and saying, um, "Well, that study, uh, you know, it was was wrong, or that was a junk science, or um, that was funded by this this group." Or, you know, like just really minuscule things, to, not actually critiquing the actual science of the studies, right? It was about everything else. And um, I actually raised my hand, and then he said, but he talked about studies he was funding. And he said, in which he said, he said, like straight out, he said, to prove that sugar is what's causing these problems. So uh. right away, his bias is very apparent, you know, he's not... He's not trying to find the right answer. He's trying to prove his bias. You know, this is a, this is not good science. And um, I raised my hand and I said, so you're telling me that all the studies that support Alan's point of view are garbage, but the ones that support yours are impeccable and beyond reproach. You know, like, does anybody else not see how this is ridiculous? Right. And um, actually what's funny is the studies he funded – I, and, oh, let me back up. If somebody asked him, what if the studies didn't find what he thought they would find, would, would he change his opinion? He said no. And I, you Did know, he actually say no? Yes, he said no. Oh, um, so there so, must be something wrong with the studies. Right. So, the, yeah, so oh actually, and actually that's what, exactly what happened was the studies came out and they didn't show what he wanted. And he has refused to admit that uh, his, his narrative has not changed. You know, and so that's like, um, you know, if you refuse to evolve in the face of new uh, data, you're not a scientist, you're a politician, you know, um, because he's built a whole industry of selling these books, of selling these programs and whatnot around things being low carb, high fat, and that sugar is this, this the devil, sugar is the devil. Um, and so for him to go back and admit that, I think that, well, one, it's a blow to the ego. But, you know, I think being wrong, and this is where so many people get it, get it messed up, I think being wrong is such a beautiful thing. If you're wrong about something, that means you weren't doing everything as right as you could be, and now you have a chance to go back and do better, you know? Because if we're, if we're just doing everything right, then that means we've already limited out. You know, we've already capped out everything we could do. Like, let's say everything in the world is as right as it's ever going to be right now. Look at the world. We've got wars and famine and all this kind of, like... Well, that would suck if this is as right as we're ever going to get it. You know what I mean? So why is it not beautiful to be wrong? 
Absolutely. And I think, I mean, isn't that the whole point of science to begin with is to, is this discovery of the truth. And, um, if you're using science to try to prove your own biases, then that's defeating the purpose and how to be a horrible scientist. One on one, basically, <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, I, I have certainly changed my views over the years. Um, and I'm sure I will continue to find out five years from now that I was wrong about certain things that I currently believe to be true. And, um, that's, that's the whole point of science is to find out what, um, to do, you know, try to be as objective as possible with a scientific method to determine, to test our hypotheses and figure out what, what things we need to modify and, and all that stuff. I, I love that you I, called him out, though. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm. I think as my as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit more savage, <laughs> in that in that I don't try to be as politically correct as I would have been. I think when I go back to graduate school, I'll probably have to tone down my stuff because, um, you know, I don't want to embarrass the program or or anything like that. Um, you know, but actually, when I was in doing my PhD, I was still on. Maybe it was just because Lehman was on tw- wasn't on Twitter yet, you know. <laughs> if Dr. Lehman had been on Twitter back in 2008, 2009, he might not have been happy with the way I handled some things. But, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, and I don't, I don't hate anybody or get really angry. I just, I want people to open their minds. You know, you, and you want to be open-minded, but not so open that your brain falls out. You know, that's one of my favorite, sure. my favorite quotes, you know, because the warrior cry of the indoctrinated is, you're, well, you're just not, you know, you're just closed-minded, or you're not ready, or you have not felt the movement, you know, like, uh, um, but, uh, you know, it, it is important to question everything, and I've been wrong in some things, you know, I... I was a big proponent of increased mill frequency for anabolism, and I was wrong. You know, like the, there does seem to be like an optimal meal amount, and we think for protein dosing it's probably around four or five meals per day. But you know, I was all about eight meals per day. You know, Ooh, wow, yeah, yeah. And then I, I did some research, and and conducted a few studies, and based on my data, I remember I remember like having this. Have you seen the meme of the guy that's sitting on the control panel? People usually use it for politics, but like, he's like looking at one button and looking at another button, and he's like, it's a, you know, like him putting a towel up his head against his head because he's sweating. Have you seen this? It's like a cartoon drawing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've seen it. Anyway, it, yeah. So it's like, like this hard decision that like, if you press one button, you're going to be wrong, but if or you're going to have to admit that you're wrong, but if you press the other button, you're a hypocrite. You know what I mean? So. Um, <laughs> It was like, wow, I either have to, based on this data, I should consider changing the way I eat, you know? And it was this weird, like, I remember actually, like, sitting down thinking in the lab, like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, like change the way I eat, you know? Because it was like, it was just my comfort, you know, my comfort zone. And it ended up that, you know, switching to four to five meals per day, I, I much prefer it and got better results on it. So... Um, you know, which is just anecdotal. It doesn't mean much, but it's, it was supported by the research data. So, uh, you know, but one of the coolest things about my PhD research was it changed the way I ate, and uh, I, I think that that's a pretty cool, cool thing to to come across. So, um, you know, and maybe you know, when you're done with your master's, I'm sure like you would be very, it'd be very rewarding if you came out and you like you actually said, you know what, I wasn't doing this thing exactly right. You know, now I'm going to get better. Oh right? yeah. So. I think that's the point, and that's, you know, anybody who's listening to our podcast, I realize we haven't really done a big discussion of a specific topic today, but um, you listen to our podcast, I think one of the things that people sh- should take from it is that we're always, I mean, we had people on too who we haven't always agreed with um, and about everything, and I think that having that, that discussion and having to defend your points and having to consider other viewpoints and consider yourself that you may be wrong. I think that's a huge thing towards growth of knowledge. I think, um, I think learning how to be a scientific thinker is a critical skill that I wish that schools would teach even in high school, early as high school. 
And because um, you have grown adults, full grown adults who don't know how to be independent thinkers. All they do is is parrot their favorite guru. Yes. And oh, this person said this. And I'm like, well, where's where's the evidence? Have you have you looked into the evidence that they're citing, if at all? Or are they just making stuff up? And they never I mean, I mean, granted, I used to think this way, too. I used to think, well, these fitness professionals say this, so therefore it must be true. If they write it on a blog, it must be true. Yep. And it never crossed my mind that people would make things up for profit or to, you know, to, to support some agenda. And uh, I'm realizing it is so easy to either um, dismiss research altogether or completely misinterpret it, take it out of context, etc. And um, I, I would like to see people be less blind followers um, and really think critically about uh, the information that they read and hear. Oh, I agree. And, and that's, you know, one of the missions of this podcast. And also, you know, like um, actually a lot of my time this past year has been spent on, on avatar nutrition or uh, our, um, my kind of pet project that I believe is going to change the world. Um, so, uh, um, uh, what do you call this? Uh, not so subtle plug for Avatar, but uh, Avatar is a, a computer-based uh, system that essentially, it's essentially uh, an algorithm we came up with, or artificial intelligence we, we, we designed, myself and Katie Coles and Mark Springer, that um, generates custom macronutrient recommendations based on your individual metabolism goals and, and some other parameters, and, uh, and then adjust them every week based on how you progress, and it's $10 a month. And we have like 8,500 members, but what we've had, well, a lot of what our, our stuff has been, has been challenging the status quo in the fitness industry. And I remember actually Mark, who's the master of memes, um, he, uh, he put up a picture of me holding my two swords. I don't know if you're familiar with the picture that says, don't hate me, hate the data. Yeah. And then then on the outsides of it, it says the fitness industry hates him. (laughs) You know, it's like the, the, the clickbait ads on the side of Google, you know, this, the reasons trainers hate him, you know, this and that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, been, um, it's been interesting to see, you know, the, some of the pushback um, against, these, these, um, against some of these concepts we've discussed. When I kind of got into this, I thought, man, like, you know, giving people information, they're going to be happy about that. And a lot of people are, but um, there's also, like, when you, when you challenge somebody's bias, a lot of times that will cause a very rapid and violent, not like physically violent, but, um, you know, uh, kind of visceral response from that person. And, uh, you know, if you're finding yourself like that, you're, you're, you know, having that like emotional tie to a concept or a nutrition program or training program, probably time to rethink how you do things. Probably a red flag. Probably a red flag. <laughs> so anyways, I, I think, is there anything else we want to talk about? Have we covered it all? Is there anything you want to plug? <laughs> um, nothing right now, but uh, when my book comes out later this spring, I'd love oh, to yeah. It's called Eat, Lift, Thrive, and, which is my uh, brand slogan. And it is a really, it's been a really awesome opportunity for me to um, continue to spread my message on a different platform. It's going to be, in bookstores, so wow, a legitimate wow. book, not just an ebook, a book book. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's my pretty much my approach to training nutrition and mindset, which um, and I actually uh, I, I, I can I cover mindset. That's one third of the book. One third is mindset, one third training, one third nutrition. And I think, um, as far as I'm aware, there really not are not very many books out there um, that. Uh, emphasize the importance of mindset on, in your fitness journey. And I think I've always believed that if you can master your mindset, that everything else on your fitness journey is a piece of cake. Everything is easy, well, relatively speaking, if you have the right mindset. Um, so I, uh, it's, it's been, it was, I mean, it's been a difficult project, obviously. And um, having to, it's cool because I, I, cite uh, plenty of research and uh, and I also uh, tell a lot of anecdotes about uh, working with my coaching clients and stories about them and how they transformed and grew. So 
And I also include uh, different sample training programs. I, I teach you how to write your own training program. I teach you how to eat, what to eat, um, all that stuff. So um, it's going to be out later this spring. I hope you all buy it and let me know what you think. That's awesome. And, and uh, as somebody who needs to write a book at some point, <laughs> uh, very admirable that you took the leap and, and did that. And I uh, will definitely be promoting that. And uh, all of you go out and get that book when it comes out. So, um, yeah. And if you have not yet, you know, um, if you're interested in our flexible dieting approach that we talk about, but you don't have the money to hire a coach, uh, both Sohi and I are coach. Are you still doing coaching right now? Sohi? I am. Okay. Absolutely. So it's funny, you know, Sohi. people ask me now on Twitter and Instagram, do you coach? And I like the arrogant egotistical part of me wants to jump up and scream and be like, do you, I'm the OG coach, you know, like I, uh, who do you think started this? <laughs> so there was no online. You were the online coach. Yeah, there was no online coaching really before. I mean, Dr. Joe did it a little bit, but I was kind of the, I would like, hopefully I'm not inaccurate in saying I was kind of one of the people who popularized it. Um, oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, so it's kind of funny that people are now, oh, do you, do you do any coaching? Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit here and there. You know, only over a thousand people over the last 12 years, but, you know. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, we still do that. So, uh, you can check, you can check Sohi out at SohiFit.com and myself at BioLane.com. Um, I actually have a membership site now. So, uh, I, I, uh, if you're looking for more educational content, BioLane.com has that. If you're looking for custom flexible dieting, uh, advice or custom flexible dieting recommendations and you can't afford an online coach, Avatar Nutrition is a great bet. And, uh, and then my supplement line, Carbon Subs, we're going to have some cool stuff coming out. So, I think, uh, yeah, we're not busy at all, are we? Oof, you've got a lot going on for you, Lane. <laughs> well, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, unless a man takes on he, more than he can possibly do, he will never do all he possibly can. Ooh, I like that one. I have not heard that one before. And, well, like I said, pre- uh, if you want to create something beautiful, it's time and pressure. So uh, I think we're really looking forward to getting this podcast back going. Um, if you guys have any ideas for guests, you know, uh, or uh, topics you would like us to discuss, we, we'd love to, to hear from you. Um, and you can you can send that to uh, info at biolane.com, or you can just post it on our Facebook page when we post up these episodes. Um, and we our Facebook page is uh, Physique Science Radio, so check us out. And uh, Sohi, great to hear from you again. I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, it's been uh, fun. Yeah, I'll be out your way here in a, in a few weeks, so looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you then when you're out here. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning back in to our comeback episode of the podcast. And uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing more from you guys coming up in the future. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. Myoatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right. 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds, and you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend, and they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com 
and check out some of the blends that have already been made or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey, guys. Many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times, people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends, and I can say with absolute certainty I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him, because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey, guys. You know me, and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber, and these are packed with 20 grams of high-quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram, at questnutrition, and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. Hey guys, one of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohi Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohi's website at sohifit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future.